Hey, thank you for listening. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? I have over 130 different videos. I have videos with more scary stories told in the rain, scary stories by a crackling fire, and I also have videos that are less relaxing and more on the scary side. Go check it out, and please don't forget to subscribe. In the YouTube search bar, just type being scared. All right. Catch you later. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. When I was 14, I was sent to a mental institution. Here's why. I don't have any friends, and I kept to myself. I loved to look at pictures of dead people. And to be honest, I still do. My parents struggled with trying to make me act normal. And I have no explanation for you or for them. I didn't like other kids. I didn't like anyone. Not even my parents. The only person that I did like was my little brother Harold, who was just like me. He was quiet and he didn't have any friends either. We would play outside and hang out all the time, and everything was great. Until this one night. Harold and I got into an argument, and he told me that he wished he could kill our parents. I wasn't close with our parents, and like I said before, I didn't even like them but I never felt like hurting them. Harold told me that not only did he want to hurt them, he wanted to cut them open with the pocket knife in the garage. He wanted to take the knife and slit them open. This made me cry. I ran to my parents' room, probably like two o'clock in the morning, screaming and crying. Harold followed me and was screaming that I was lying over and over. I screamed and told my parents what Harold said and what he wanted to do. My mom started crying uncontrollably, and my dad started breathing really heavy. Obviously, what I told them was scaring them, and Harold was crying too at this point. The next day, my dad took me to the mental institution. For the longest time, I was in that hospital, angry, not understanding why I had to live there and Harold didn't. It wasn't until seven years later that I learned why. My dad came to visit me one day, and when I asked about Harold, as I always did, he finally said it. Harold didn't exist. I ran into their room that night, screaming and arguing with myself about how I wanted to kill them. But I didn't want to. This was out of this world, insanely scary. Please forgive the short length. Not much happened. I was 11 years old, living in Boston with my dad. I woke up one night super late for an unknown reason. You know how sometimes you just wake up, look around your room, and then fall back asleep? Yep, that's what happened. 
I woke up not sure what time, but sometime in the middle of the night. I was looking around the room, and sitting in the darkness of my open closet, I saw a face. A face I had never seen before. Someone was sitting in my closet looking at me. The ability to move my limbs completely left me. I was frozen. I stared at this person for what felt like an hour. Trying to remember now, I'd say it was really only about 20 seconds. Whoever it was reached their arm out of the darkness in front of them and slid the closet door closed, looking into my eyes the entire time. The door closed and I lay there frozen for probably another 20 seconds. And then I realized I had to leave this room. Obviously there was no way I was going to go back to sleep. I got up as silently as I could and walked out of my bedroom, which the door was cracked open. I ran to my dad's room and went inside. I woke him up and naturally he was shocked when I told him that someone was in my closet. He told me to stay in his room and he went to check. The thought of something happening to my dad scared the hell out of me, so I was crying, waiting for him to come back. After a minute or two, he finally came back and told me that no one was there. Cliché ending, I know. I will say this, I do not care if people believe me or not. It really happened. I was not dreaming. When I left my room, whoever it was in the closet left as well. The front door, the back door, and most of our windows were all unlocked. Stupid, I know, but we were ignorant. This happened six years ago, and when I try to remember the face... I can't visualize the details except one thing. One thing I have always been sure of. It was a man, and he was missing teeth. How do I know? Because he was smiling at me the whole time. I'm a 17-year-old guy currently living in Phoenix, Arizona. This incident took place around six months ago on an overnight trip into the Superstition Mountains, which are about an hour drive east of Phoenix. I'm not going to specify the exact trail, because I've been doing this stuff long enough to realize what happens when you say too much. Whether it's a good trail, abandoned mine, ghosts, or whatever it might be, people come flocking, and usually with a lot of trash and loud music. This particular trail I was taking was an 8 mile loop through a canyon, a pretty simple overnight trip. I had planned to go with my friend, but at last minute he cancelled and he left me on my own. So with a packed bag and a car ready to go, I decided to go on my own. Not leaving the house on time and some trouble navigating rough forest roads, I didn't arrive to the trailhead until around 5.45, which for those of you who don't backpack, this is a very big no-no. I had about a four-mile hike until I arrived at my planned camping spot, and it was getting dark fast. So I figured if I moved quick enough, I could get at least two to three miles in before I had to find a spot. This strategy left me hiking a very dark trail on my own with about 15 miles of dirt road between me and anyone else. Hiking in the dark by itself is scary especially for where I was and being on my own. Eventually it got so dark that I could only see where my headlamp was pointing, and that's when I figured I needed to stop 
and get a camp set up. With only using the headlamp as my light source and trying to move fast, I ended up in a less than ideal spot, but there were some burnt pieces of wood and the remains of a fire circle, so it looked like people had been there before, but it didn't look recent. My first priority was to get a fire going. I scanned the area around me and was able to find some dry wood, and I got the fire going. I got my tarp set up and cracked an open can of chili mac I had brought for myself and was very much looking forward to eating. I was feeling good. My camp was set up and my food was on the fire. The feeling of uneasiness from the hike had almost gone away, but it was still there, the side effect of camping alone in a remote area. To fully understand what happened, I have to explain to you how my camp was set up. The site I had picked was a small clearing surrounded by large pine trees with the trail about 30 feet to my left. When you're in the woods and have a fire going, the fire casts a circle of light around it, and everything in the edge of that circle, and past it, are pitch black. I was sitting on the ground near my fire eating my dinner when a small rock, about the size of a marble, was thrown into my camp. I looked in shock as I was positive that I was the only person on this trail that night. I immediately turned my light on and towards the area where I had seen the rock come from, but due to the density of the pines and the brush, I could only see about 10 feet. I spent the next 15 minutes in disbelief as I scanned in the tree line that surrounded me, searching for whoever had thrown the rock, not daring to stray too far from my fire, that in hindsight offered me a false sense of security. After sitting back down and spending the rest of my time on high alert, I was able to convince myself that I had somehow kicked the rock, or it had fallen from a tree or something. I went to sleep that night not expecting the pure terror that was about to unfold. I awoke to the sound of rustling leaves, barely inaudible if you weren't listening for them, but they were there. Still in a sleepy daze, I listened, as the rustling of leaves got harder to hear, as I assumed they were moving away from me. I went to grab my handheld flashlight that I had left next to me when I had fallen asleep, but the more I looked, the more scared I got as I came to realize that it was no longer there. I stood up in my sleeping bag and ducked out of my tarp and looked around. I was able to see a light off in the woods. It couldn't have been more than 15 feet away. It was my flashlight, laying on the ground in a pile of leaves. This is one of those few moments in my life where I've almost crapped my pants. The flashlight that I had left sitting right next to me when I had fallen asleep a few hours ago was now 15 feet away, in the tree line of the woods. I hurriedly slipped my boots on, clutching my knife in my other hand and keeping my head on a swivel. I weighed my options. Stay here and wait out the night, or attempt the three-mile hike back to the car, in the dark. I figured that whoever was out there with me was definitely going to have a better advantage if I was out on the trail without a light, so I decided to stay at the camp and wait out the night. Eventually, whoever it was came back. I could hear them walking around the woods. It was far off, but I could hear them. It sounded like someone leisurely walking by, like they were on a stroll, without a care in the world. Sometimes they would walk so far away, and I would lose the sound of their steps. 
But then, an hour later, maybe two, they would return, still faint. This went on for three or four hours until I listened to the steps get closer and closer, until they were about seven feet away from me. At this point, the fire had gotten very small, as I had run out of wood in my pile. The footsteps stopped, and everything went totally silent. I sat there still, for two hours, clutching a knife in my hand, and prayed that I wouldn't hear anything else. I stayed like that until the sun cast enough light that I could see that I was alone in my campsite. I packed my things and speed walked the three miles back down the trail I had taken. I arrived at the empty dirt road where my car was parked and nearly sprinted to it as I unlocked my Subaru, jumped in, and drove, and didn't stop until I had put at least 20 miles between me and that place. I stopped at a gas station to buy a Red Bull, but mostly just to see or talk to another person. As I exited the store, I was able to read what someone had written in the dust on my back window. Sleep well? A lot of weird things have happened to me on my various adventures through Arizona, but this is the weirdest and the scariest by far. There was somebody seriously deranged in the woods that night. Do yourself a favor and stay as far away from those mountains as you can. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My girl and I frequent the drive-in theater all the time in the summer. It's May, and I don't think we'll be doing it this year because of what happened last year. I'm not sure if it's different anywhere else, but at the drive-ins closest to us, there's two movies that play on a single screen, back-to-back. It's also pretty cheap, so it's an awesome choice for a hot summer night. We were doing our normal thing. We went to the store to get some candy and beer before heading to the drive-ins. I'm sure you know that the food at any theater is ridiculously expensive, so we saved some money by doing that. We made it there about 30 minutes before the first movie started, and people were still showing up. We got the front row, with nobody in front of us, which somehow I always managed to get. After 30 minutes of waiting and munching on junk food, the preview started for the first movie. Everything was completely normal, up until this point. And during the previews I heard a loud noise. It sounded like someone had kicked a rock at my truck. Not a lot, it just sounded like a good-sized rock hit my tailgate or something. We thought nothing of it because our focus was on the screen. An hour or so went by with no other unusual sounds, and we were enjoying the movie, when suddenly we both heard something strange. It sounded like somebody was walking right next to the truck and dragging their feet. We looked around but saw nothing. I was looking around and I spotted a girl in the passenger seat of the car next to us, and she was looking at me. She had a concerned look on her face. 
and she motioned for me to roll my window down. I did, and she immediately said, There is someone under your truck. This made me feel sick. I knew she wasn't messing with me, and didn't know what to say back or what to do. My girl started to quietly freak out, and I asked the girl next to us as quietly as I could what the person was doing. She said back, I don't know. I was afraid to get out, and I remembered that eerie feeling that I had when I was a kid, and I didn't want to step off my bed at night for fear of someone underneath. Same feeling. I decided to call the drive-in's number listed online and told them what was happening. After asking the details of my truck, they said they would send somebody over to us. Before anyone came, we very suddenly heard more noise under the truck, and then a girl wearing a dress crawled out from under my truck, right in front of us, and began walking backwards toward the movie screen. When she got to the screen, she turned and walked away towards the fence that separated our lot and the one next to us. A few minutes later, a man approached my window, and I told him that the girl had walked away. One of the worst nights of my life was December 28, 2013. To put it bluntly, and in as few words as possible, a tough Christmas had been rough on my mental health. Then a straight-up shouting match with my mom just kind of finished me off. I stormed out of our family home, screaming profanity and swearing that they would never see me again. Yep, I was that petulant teenager. Sure, I had forgotten my phone and wallet, but was I way too proud to go back and get them? You bet. So in my fit of only partially warranted rage, I somehow decided it would be a good idea to try to hitchhike to my friend's house so I could stay the night there. I had never hitchhiked before. Hell, I don't think I'd even held my thumb out for a cab at that point in my life. But there I was, stood on a stretch of Florida highway, trying to catch the attention of a passing driver. To my surprise, someone actually pulled over pretty quickly, and not the hippie bus rust bucket I had been visualizing either. It was one of those high-end Chevys. I'm not sure which model, and the guy behind the wheel actually looked like that he had a few dollars. I mean, he was the typical-looking rich dad type. Absolutely nothing to indicate that he was anything but nice and well-meaning. Hop in, he calls out from the open passenger window. I couldn't believe my luck, like not only was I about to actually hitchhike for the first time, which felt pretty cool, not gonna lie, but I was able to do so in style. I can't tell the difference between faux leather and the real deal, but when you're in an air-conditioned sedan that still has the new car smell at 17, who cares? I felt grown up as hell. So the guy asks me why I'm hitchhiking, and I'll be honest. I may have given him a totally hopped-up version of events, which totally made me out to be the victim. Abusive parents, poor me, blah blah blah. Naturally, he takes this as gospel and starts telling me how his father was an alcoholic, how he sympathized with my situation. I asked him to take me as far down the road as he could, and that I had a friend that lived about 30 minutes drive away. He said cool, and down the highway we go. As he's driving, we talk a lot more about family. 
He pops the glove box and boom, there's a picture of his kids. As I'm looking at his little girls, he starts telling me how important he thinks family is, especially to those of us that come from less than stable backgrounds. Then he said something that seemed completely out of character. We're pulling into a gas station after mentioning that he needs to fill up, continuing the family conversation in segments, if that makes any sense. One minute he'll stop talking because he needs to focus on a turn or a lane switch, and then he carries on. So it was almost out of nowhere when he said something like, We have to protect our families from our true natures. I didn't know what to say to that, not in that moment. So I just kind of stayed quiet as he gets out of the car and starts filling up the tank. I had a few minutes to process those words, and the more I thought about them, the more I realized that hitchhiking may not have been such a good idea. When he gets back in after paying for the gas, there's a few moments of quiet as I'm still trying to work out just what he meant by his last statement. So I just asked. I straight up asked him what he meant by something so ominous. It'll be easier if I show you. Ever wonder what it would feel like to tuck and roll out of a moving vehicle? Ever tried to imagine it because you're literally about to do it and you're pretty sure it'll kill you at the speeds you're traveling? Probably not. I hadn't. Not until that moment right there. But somehow I convinced myself that I was just being overly dramatic. Too little, too late. So I just stayed in the car. I didn't even ask for him to pull over or anything. Looking back on it, I wasn't sure what was going through my head at all. Just that I really, really didn't want to be around this guy anymore. He had gone from nice and normal to moody and creepy in light speed. You know, everyone has secrets, he says after pulling into a dark commercial lot and shutting off the engine. So, Im imagine that line spoken as creepily as you can imagine, and then double it, and that's what this guy sounded like. I had kept my tone polite up until that point. I needed this guy to get me to my friend's house. But I was all out of cool by then, and I'm literally about to ask him what the hell he's talking about when he puts his hand on my thigh. He doesn't just put it there either. He puts it there and starts squeezing. Like I said before, he had pictures of his kids, mentioned his wife. He even bitched about his in-laws a little bit during our little family talk. Look, what I'm trying to say is he did what he did because he was a predator. I'm sure of it. He saw someone vulnerable who apparently had a rough childhood or family background and saw someone he could manipulate. It was the look in his eyes. Man, not this vulnerable I like you look. It was like a hunger. That's the only way I can describe it. Like an excitement before a feast. I just hit him. I'm not some tough guy. I don't do MMA. Hell, I don't even think I landed the punch properly, but I threw it hard enough to let him know that he was not about to molest me in a dark parking lot in the middle of winter. Then, I tried to undo my seatbelt. Tried being the operative word. I pushed the little red button, and absolutely nothing happened. No clicking or catching of mechanisms. Nothing. You should have seen this guy smile when that happened. I will never, ever forget that look in his eye. Pure predator.
I'm not even ashamed to admit that I started screaming for help, like a little kid. But ever have a nightmare where you try to scream, but your voice keeps catching in your throat? It's so scary because it can literally happen. And it happened to me right there, in that dark parking lot. I'm not even entirely sure what happened next. I remember slamming my fist into the glass window, and it shattering all over me. I know I must have gotten the door open somehow, too. There were headlights behind us. Someone was shouting as they intervened. The predatory driver reached under his seat, and I thought for a moment that he was about to pull out a gun or something. But then, the seatbelt felt just loose. I just rolled out of the car as it sped away. In retrospect, I think the guy had a way to unbuckle it like he jury-rigged it under his seat, if that makes any sense. I mean, it was tight as hell, and then, it just wasn't. And then the cops are there. My rescuer must have called, and I'm just numb. Not only because I couldn't believe I had almost gotten myself kidnapped or whatever. I mean, I have no idea what that guy was planning for me. Other than it wasn't good, or innocent. But it was the fact that my own foolish pride, my own self-pity and lies, could have been the things really responsible for what could have easily been an untimely death. When I was 15 years old, my great-uncle passed away due to a sudden heart attack. My father and I had to clean out his house. My great-uncle was very much loved by all of us, and really was one of the nicest and most loving people around. My father was just as broken up about losing him as everyone else was in my family, but the job had to be done, so we arrived at his house early in the morning one day. His house was very neat and well-organized, so we would be done in a day or two, tops. I remember as a kid we would always play over at his house when my dad had to work. He would let us play anywhere in the house, except the attic. He made it very clear to us going up and down the ladder to the attic was dangerous. Therefore, we never were allowed up there, and we never thought anything of it. Even though he would go up there sometimes for about 30 minutes, and then he would come back down never actually bringing anything down with him or taking anything up there. While we were cleaning, I decided to finally go up to the attic just to see if there was anything there. It was completely empty up there besides two boxes that were tucked away in a corner. Thinking nothing of it as I picked up the dusty boxes and took them downstairs. Once I got to the living room, I opened them expecting to see some papers because the boxes were so light. Instead, I found all these pictures. I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of pictures of what I could tell were pictures of different women. All from angles where you could clearly tell they didn't know they were being photographed. He had pictures from daytime to night and from multiple locations. In some pictures, they were undressed. And in others, they were just doing everyday things like cooking and cleaning. With every picture I looked through, my heart started to beat faster and faster. Looking closer, I realized one of the women was his wife who had passed away several years earlier. I looked on the back of the pictures and they were all named. I didn't want to freak my family out without knowing exactly what I was looking at, so out of curiosity, 
I googled some of the names and found one of the ladies on Facebook. I was so glad to see that the woman was alive and well. Once finding that out, I showed the pictures to my dad, and he was just as shocked as I was. He took the boxes, and I never saw them again, and we never spoke of it again. Still, every once in a while I find myself wondering why he had those pictures, and if he took them himself, or had someone else take them. I loved my great uncle very much, and couldn't imagine him being anything less than a stand-up guy. I don't know what to think. Imagine finding something like that from someone that you've loved. It freaked me out really bad. This happened to me when I was about 10 years old. I'm 31 now. Bear with me as some of the details are a little hazy. I was spending the weekend at my best friend Ben's house. Friday and Saturday, Ben's parents were going to be out late. Ben's older sister lives in the garage that was converted into his studio, which meant that Ben and I would have the whole house to ourselves. Friday after school, Ben's father picked us up, and we went to the video store to rent some horror movies, and then to 7-Eleven to get junk food for our night. We had just finished watching Scream 2, and were about to watch The Wishmaster, when Ben turned to me and said, Let's do something else. I remember it raining that night and Ben's parents telling us not to play out front, to stay in the backyard. That's exactly what we did. Ben and I loved to play hide-and-seek in his backyard, since it was like a maze back there with low-hanging lemon trees and a couple of paved walkways leading to the garage and leading to the back shed where Ben kept his pet iguana. Rock, paper, scissors, and Ben was the seeker as I went to go hide. Ben would count by the back door, and then would start seeking after counting to 50. Then, if I could make it back to the back door, which we called home free, then Ben would lose that round. Ben started to count, and I ran through the pouring rain to the back of the shed, where I knew he wouldn't find me. I heard him yell, ready or not, here I come. I kneeled down as much as I could, listening for him to get near, so I could run to the porch and be home free. A few minutes later, I heard him walking through leaves on the other side of the shed. I knew he couldn't see me. It was too dark. He got really close and then stopped. I thought to myself, what is he doing? And then I heard some kind of bag rustling. I almost stood up when I heard Ben shout, Hey, I give up. It's too rainy out here. Let's go back in. His voice sounded like he was back on the porch. Then who was standing right next to me? Without hesitation, I darted out as fast as I could to the back porch and told Ben to hurry inside. We ran inside and I locked the door and told Ben, There's someone out there by your shed. After some convincing, he finally believed me. We obviously did not go back out there. His parents got home later that night. We told them what happened. There wasn't much they could do, and I know they didn't call the police, but Ben's dad went out back and locked up the fence. We were told not to play by that shed anymore, and definitely not past sunset. The next morning we got up late and went to the kitchen to eat. Ben walked towards the back door and motioned for me to go over there. I walked over and we both stared 
at muddy footprints leading to the back door. We always talked about what happened that night, both of us always wondering, who was back there, what was he doing and where did he go, and most of all, what would he have done if he had gotten his hands on us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Years ago, when I was eight years old, my family lived in this big, weird house, kind of on the edge of a small town. The school district was in the middle of a big restructuring, so even though we were only a couple grades apart, my brother and I went to different schools and took different buses. This left me as the last person to leave in the morning and the first person to get home in the afternoon, which meant it was my job to make sure all the lights were off in the morning and that the door was locked. One morning I noticed the basement door was open and the light was on, so before I left, I turned the light off and closed the door. When I got home that afternoon, the light was back on and the door was wide open. I just assumed that I had forgotten to actually take care of it when I noticed it in the morning, so I went over to turn the light off again and closed the door. When I got to the top of the basement stairs, I looked down and there was a man standing at the bottom looking up at me. I slammed the door and pushed a bunch of boxes against it and then went and hid in my closet. It was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. This story happened to my best friend and I when we were 16 on Halloween night. It happened at my parents' house, which they still live in. Their house is in a very nice neighborhood, and it has a driveway that stretches very long, about a quarter mile down the street. My parents were gone on this particular Halloween, and my buddy and I were just watching scary movies. My parents had bought several huge bags of candy for the kids who would come by trick-or-treating. There were a lot of other houses on the street, and they knew of a lot of kids that would be coming. The night was passing. We were watching movies, and we realized at about 9.30 that not a single trick-or-treater had come to the house yet. We thought that this was strange, and went out onto the front porch to see if we could spot any trick-or-treaters. The street was far off, and I couldn't see anybody. We decided to walk up the driveway and look down the street to see if there were any kids coming. We began walking and kicking rocks. About halfway up the driveway, we spotted something. There was someone sitting in the driveway, at the start of it, right next to the street. He was sitting in a chair. We stopped walking and looked at this person. We were pretty sure that they were facing the street, away from us. The person appeared to be a man, with long brown hair. We started tripping out, because why in the hell would somebody be sitting in the chair in the driveway? At first, we planned on going back to the house 
as this was creepy as hell. But curiosity grew too much, and we decided to approach the man. We started slowly walking again, and walked even slower the closer that we got. We eventually reached the man sitting in a chair. My buddy and I looked at each other, as if to figure out who was going to say something. I turned back to the man and said, Uh, hello? The man turned his head to the left very fast and yelled, If you come any closer, I will kill you. He then got up and started moving towards us, but we had bolted as soon as he yelled those words. Rocks were being kicked up as we sprinted back to the front porch, and when we reached the front door, I looked down the driveway before we slammed the front door closed, and for the briefest of seconds, I saw the man was now standing up, and he was halfway down the driveway, looking towards us. We locked the deadbolt and chain. I ran over to the kitchen phone and dialed my father. It took my parents about an hour to get home from the party they were at, and my buddy and I were scared as hell the whole time. We locked every window, and we were hiding in my dad's office until they arrived. To our surprise, they came into the house with a cop. Apparently, the man sitting in the chair was a disgruntled employee that my father had just let go earlier that day, and he was waiting for him to come home. What was he planning on doing? Who knows? No wonder we didn't see any trick-or-treaters on Halloween that night. They were scared off by this psycho sitting in a chair. Sometimes the things we say to others can come back to haunt us. Even when it's someone we think that we know well, words and intent can become twisted, especially over the internet. This next story should serve as a strong reminder to be careful of what you may say to others. Although you might mean them no harm, not everyone can take a joke. At the end of 2012, I stumbled upon a male-centered chat room by one of those men's fashion-style magazines. I lurked for a week or two before I decided to officially join discussions. The topics that were thrown around were what you would imagine a bunch of 18-45 to 45 year old guys would talk about. Women, beer, guns, video games, the usual things. Another very common thing that you will see if you spend any time around men is harmless banter. The old yo mama jokes and the type. On occasion, the mean-spirited fellow will come along and take things too far. But normally, most lines are rarely crossed. That being said, almost every one of us men have said something that offended another without meaning to. While speaking face-to-face, -face, your meaning can occasionally be misconstrued. But online, the chances of this happening can increase greatly, and thinking of what you are about to say is very important. On one occasion, I said something that I didn't feel was that bad, but every day since then, I have wished that I could take it back. I believe I had been a member of the chat for over a year by then, the room was a relatively active one, and I was one of the most active. I had traded friendly barbs back and forth with others so many occasions, and nothing ever became of it. One morning over coffee, I was BSing with a group of three or four other members. 
All but one guy were long-timers. The fourth guy had been around for less than a month. This didn't matter to us, though. Regardless of how long you've been around, we welcomed everyone with open arms. If I recollect right, the new guy had made a joking comment about his wife, and others of us did the same. Up to then, all was well with the group. But then I made my own joke about the new guy's wife, and all hell broke loose. To show how little I thought about it at the time, I can't even remember what the joke was about. If I was to guess, it was probably about her weight. If that was the subject, in hindsight, it was likely the wrong thing to mention. But in my defense, I had heard much worse things exchanged there, and no one ever batted an eye. What was said doesn't matter. If it offended the man, then I was out of line, and I take full responsibility for my actions. That morning was a slightly different matter. Even after the guy told me I had gone too far, I disregarded his words and told him to chill out and stop being a wuss. I probably couldn't have said anything worse. The rest of the guys quietly left, and he and I were the only two remaining. No reply came from his end for a long time, and I was just about to log off when he began typing. He demanded that I apologize that second, or he was going to beat an apology out of me. Naturally, this made me chuckle, and I replied by saying, What are you going to do, reach through my computer screen? I still hate myself for being such an a-hole. I don't have to. I know exactly where you live, and to make sure you're paying attention, I know your kids' names, and what school they go to. Now, I was beginning to get angry myself. Threatening my children was way overboard. This made my response to him cruder than usual. I confidently called his bluff. To my surprise, he wasn't bluffing. He would follow up by typing out my full address, including my children's full names, birth dates, and schools. He wanted my full attention, and he most certainly got it. I have never been so terrified in my life. Just to drive his point home, he added by telling me that he lived in the next town over. Even if he was lying about that, I wasn't going to risk it. My reply to him was perhaps the most thought-out apology I had ever given someone, and be sure, I meant each and every word. He made me wait several minutes before he answered. I was beginning to pull my hair out. The relief I felt after reading it was indescribable. Okay, I accept your apology. Let this be a lesson to you. You never know who you're talking to, and what they may know or are willing to do to get back at you. By this point, I was so spent from the shock of the last half hour, I could only answer with thank you. I could only hope he meant what he said, and that my family was safe. In the end, my apology would have never been made if I was the only person in danger. He could come over and do his best at kicking my ass, but the second my family became a target, no matter how mad it made me, I had no other option. You have to believe any man angry enough to threaten another man's kids is crazy enough to carry them out. That's never a thing that should be wagered on. We now move on to this last year. 
My family and I were at the local Irish festival, having a great time. My run-in with the guy from the chat room had faded far from my mind. My daughters were at a booth getting their faces painted, and I was sitting nearby taking a break with my beer. My wife was waiting in line for some food. I was sitting alone, taking in the wonderful smells and sounds filling the air. Out of nowhere, a uniformed cop drops down next to me on the bench and says hello. I thought nothing of it and said hello back. Brent wanted me to let you know that he may have forgiven you, but he hasn't forgotten. He pointed you out to me and asked that I pass on this message. We police take good care of each other, you see. Have a fun day. The cop stood up and quietly walked away. I was completely dumbstruck. Not a word could form in my mind. I helplessly scanned the crowd, looking for what? I did not know. My daughters and wife carried on, clueless as to what had just occurred. I spent the remainder of the day constantly looking over my shoulder, while trying to hide my fear from them. A day has not gone by since that I haven't been on guard. This year's festival is soon approaching, and my daughters are highly anticipating it. My instincts tell me not to go, but doing that would only draw questions that I am not ready to answer. More than likely, I'll be spending the weekend there, searching the faces of every strange man and police officer, wondering if my family is safe to enjoy themselves. I can only pray that his anger has cooled over time, and that last year's talk was nothing more than a gentle reminder to be kinder to my fellow man.